Hello and welcome to this, the very last in the present series of podcasts on the history of psychiatry in Britain since the time of the Renaissance. I'm Rab Houston, Professor of Modern History in the University of St Andrews, and this last podcast is called Caring for People or Caring About People? Question mark. You might think I was saving this last podcast to call for better funding of mental health care. More money would indeed be great, but for all of my university career, I've been faced with relentless reductions in funding and the expectation of greater efficiency. British universities have been making do with fewer resources for decades and have managed only just, to maintain a world-leading system. Humanities academics in particular have learned to do their best with limited and diminishing means. So I thought instead about what else we could do better to care about people using the resources we have. My solution is simply to spend more time. Now, time is a commodity that many of us feel we don't have in modern Britain and Ireland. We often feel time poor, cramming huge amounts into our days. General practitioner consultations in Britain typically last just 10 minutes, barely time to diagnose a condition, let alone work towards a solution, a particular problem with mental disorders. Specialist psychiatric consultations are typically much longer, especially the initial ones, which can take an hour or even two. Psychological therapies are particularly labour-intensive and time-consuming, and therefore expensive. Leaving drugs as the preferred modern solution for many mental health issues. Sufferers may have little chance to talk about their experiences when that may be what they need the most. Perhaps modern social media offer an alternative to the opportunity to talk to friends, neighbours and clergy as people did in the past. Talking publicly about intimate feelings is, I think, much more acceptable now than it was when I was growing up during the 1960s. It has even become a staple of reality television. Internet support and advocacy groups have helped enormously to alleviate the suffering and stigma of mental disorder in the last two decades in particular. Yet we know that social media brings its own pressures and pitfalls, opening up participants to people whose intentions may be far from helpful. I hope you've seen through this series of podcasts that psychiatric provision in the past was very far from perfect, subject to the inequalities, excesses and vagaries of often unregulated market forces. I don't want in any sense to downplay the errors and the horrors of history. 
Nor, on the other hand, do I want to create a golden age where none existed. But to me, something humane and also empowering in the process of curing and caring for the sick gets lost when the holistic individual is ignored. What I'm saying is that we have, of course, gained much through medical and legal changes over time. But along the way, we seem to have lost the time to listen. That's doubly unfortunate because helping others is psychologically good for us. This may be one area where having many more sympathetic and suitably trained volunteers can fill a gap. I'm thinking in particular of the retired who are more time rich and who have a store of experience of dealing with life's problems. Sufferers too can bring a truly empathetic pers perspective to such encounters. But anyone who is sympathetic and sensible can learn to listen attentively and constructively. So my suggestion is that all of us need to listen to people who themselves hear voices and to those afflicted by other types of mental problem. And we need to work at bringing together people who have time with the submerged but large minority of the population who desperately need it. I mean this not in the instrumental sense outlined in the 1989 white paper Caring for People, Community Care in the Next Decade and Beyond. I mean it instead in the more genuine sense of caring about people. This is, of course, already happening. In modern Britain, formal provision for mental patients is almost entirely the preserve of the NHS and thus is state-funded. Planning and provision like this is the product of the post-war welfare state, which cemented the British commitment to social welfare and its enthusiasm for central control. Psychological therapies are, however, less freely available on the, on the NHS, and those who might benefit from them too often have to pay for private treatment. Indeed, since 1948, the share of the NHS budget that is spent on mental health has fallen from a whopping 50% in the 19, around 1950 to just 10% in the 2010s, largely thanks to reduced expenditure on asylums. But the state is not the end of the story. There are lots of important charities doing excellent work in this very area, as there were in the past. Prominent amongst them are MIND, founded in 1946, the Mental Health Foundation, founded in 1949, Samaritans, 1953, and SANE, 1986. Some groups, such as the Alzheimer's Society, work across the United Kingdom and Ireland, but regions also have their own bodies. The first voluntary organisation in this sphere for th this part of Ireland, 
the Northern Ireland Association for Mental Health, was founded as an aftercare body in 1959. The Scottish Association for Mental Health was founded as early as 1923. Among other bodies is the Scottish Association of Chaplains in Healthcare, whose members serve those who wish to discuss their spiritual as well as their broader psychological needs. Perhaps the best-known association in the Irish Republic is Mental Health Ireland, founded in 1966, but there are others such as AWARE, which also operates in Northern Ireland to promote understanding of depression. What may be the oldest voluntary group dealing specifically with mental care in Britain, now known as TOGETHER, was founded as the Mental Aftercare Association in 1879 by the chaplain of Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum in North London. He wanted to find ways to support people leaving the institution once they returned to the community and thus try to reduce the incidence of readmission. The poster which illustrates this podcast is one way the association promoted and funded its early work. So this voluntary or philanthropic sector, so important for early asylum building in both England and Scotland, is as important now as it's ever been in providing both material and psychological help to sufferers and their families. Volunteers give up time to help people. People are at the heart of social history, which is what I do. Of course, we all welcome science's successes in improving human well-being. Psychiatry's status has been highest when it worked most closely with developing scientific discoveries. But for me, the problem with current biological or biochemical emphases is the tendency to treat people as nothing more than disordered tissues, cells or molecules. Human beings are not simply machines. Instead, the social context in which they experience mental problems and within which medical practitioners, family, friends and strangers interacted with them are all profoundly important. Understanding the history of psychiatry can help to preserve a sense of perspective, humanity and humility by setting out just how unusual and diverse the past is and how people coped with mental ailments under very different social, material and cultural circumstances. Historians may actually find it easier than clinicians or scientists to write compassionately about sufferers with mental problems, sufferers who are long dead. Some famous psychiatrists like Emil Kripalin, the so-called discoverer of schizophrenia, had notoriously poor relationships with their patients, though I'm sure that's no longer the case for any present-day clinician. 
Unhindered by the need for patient confidentiality or the detached conventions of medical scholarship, we historians can mediate the voice of the mad in the past by bringing alive the experience of suffering through the vivid personal detail of contemporary autobiography. This voice of the mad, in other words, the patient experience in the past, will be the centre of my next series of podcasts. For centuries, sufferers sought to understand the darkness, distress and dissolution of their own minds, as well as the successes and failures of the carers they encountered and the therapies they experienced to manage their despair. Individually and collectively, their journeys bring unique insights into mental illness and its treatment. I really hope you've got something out of this series and that you'll join me for the next one. The starting date should be on the website. Goodbye for now and thank you.